0: Podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc. Oh, thank you, baby, seated. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, it is, uh once again, the greatest honor of my life to be here. I mean that. I, I was telling Aaron, I said, so, you know what my... Probably some of my favorite three hours or three and a half hours, depending how spiritual we are, uh, that I experience is the drive going home from Fresno to LA and Clovis to LA after I'm done speaking here. Here's why. Man, sometimes I come here in December and I'm up against pressure and I'm driving up here and you know, you have a lot of time to think about what's going on in your life and, uh, and so you're driving up and then you kind of carry this heavy burden. And then when I come to this church, I mean this all in my heart, when I come to this church, and I drive home, I told Aaron, I believe some of the best three hours that I spend a year is after leaving this church and being refueled and refired. I can't, honestly, I told the way, I'm like, the greatest joy is to stop at a 7-Eleven and eat nachos, pull my legs up and think about what the Lord is doing right here in this church. And think about how it inspires me. You. I used to think I was coming here to inspire you. But now, honestly, I feel like now the assignment has changed a little bit. We're at the season of transfer where I actually come here to be inspired to go back home. And so, uh, yeah, there's been a great reversal. I believe that's happened. And uh, I'm just so honored, so blessed. And... I just love everything about this church. I mean, what are you guys taking over next, Mars? I mean, after all those announcements of, like, we're taking over this, 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 this. I mean, there's nothing left for you guys to take over after this initiative. That's, like, the, the most incredible initiative I've ever heard in my life, man. It's just amazing. And so I'm just sitting back there in total awe of what the Lord is doing in this church. And uh, I love you. I've lost some weight since last time, like 30-something pounds. That's because I'm running the World Marathon Challenge for the Dream Center. So it's, a, it's just a big old crazy fundraiser: seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. so I'll be running in Antarctica on January 23rd, my first of seven consecutive marathons on every continent in seven consecutive days. Full marathons, 26.2. So otherwise, nothing's really going on. so uh, so the pastor asked me to take you a little bit down memory lane and tell some of the story about the Dream Center tonight. So uh, it's in my heart, so this is all the notes I have. So that's all I need to do tonight after, because this is so deep in my heart tonight. Turn your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 10. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 10. I just, I just want to smile. I, I want to do something. I want to burn something or build something, but I want to do something when I come here. I don't know what it is about you guys. It's so special. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 10. When Sanballat and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, they were much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. That word welfare means well-being, prosperity, and happiness. It grieved them exceedingly. They were greatly disturbed that someone came to promote the welfare of the people of Israel. I want to talk about seeking after the welfare of your city tonight. Father, I pray as I deliver this message that you would speak so much life into my heart. God, inspire me, Lord, because if there's ever a place I want to be inspired, it's this place, because this message, this church will do something with it. And that's why the mandate feels greater tonight, because I'm in a place that I believe will do it tonight, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that we can just add a little bit more inspiration behind this amazing cause that you've already given them. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, I love this story. I love how Nehemiah had a dream. He had a vision. He had a vision to rebuild the walls of a city, to rebuild the walls because the people were being taken over by captivity and slavery. And for him, the protection of these walls were to protect the families and the children and the women who were being raped and, and, uh, and kidnapped and sold into slavery. And he wanted to do something great. Nehemiah had a vision and he had a dream and that was to to rebuild the walls. And so he went there for three days in Israel and he looked over what was going on. In the middle of the night, he would sneak out and he would look at the things that had been burned down, the gates that were burned down and parts of the wall that were destroyed. And in those nights of surveying all that was going on, Nehemiah had a dream that burned in his heart. Now we read that story, we think that Nehemiah immediately, everything was successful overnight, he's building. But I believe that there is a great disturbance that takes place whenever God's people decide that they're going to go right into the enemy's territory and they're going to take it back. These people were disturbed that someone had came to, to make life better for the city. And I believe that God is, does something great. And when that happens, there's an enemy that comes in, that tries to settle in. And that enemy will come in the forms of complacency and, uh, and traditionalism and, and, and just wanting to take care of our own selves and not to do anything else. And there, the enemy will come and attack. Whenever you decide to step out and do something great, there will always be a battle that will wage war to keep you in the conflict. Of complacency. But Nehemiah decided he was going to build anyways, and he decided to step out. When I was 20 years of age, and when I came to L.A., my dad, you know, he couldn't find a pastor for a church. He was looking for one, and and um, all the guys that he wanted to take over the church, they couldn't find the building, and, and they were all excited. I mean, a church plant in L.A., back when people weren't planting a whole lot of churches. And and so all these pastors, you know, they were all excited, and so they saw the neighborhood, and every one of them said, I don't feel led of the Holy Spirit to come and plant this church with Pastor Tommy Barnett. And I was 20 years of age, and I was an evangelist, and my dad told me to come for three months to help him pastor of the church, and so I came for three months, and uh, I was just supposed to, to, to uh, pastor for three months until a real pastor took over, you know, and so there I was, and I had all my sermons, and I copied the 10, my dad had a, ser- a sermon series called The Greatest Hits of Phoenix First Assembly, where my dad pastored, and, we, and so I preached the top 10 sermons from the top 10 preachers that came to preach in our service. But there's a problem with that. There was an 11th week and there was a 12th week and there's a 13th week and I had no more stuff. You know, I didn't have Randy Hand sermons back then. I wish I did. I would have been, I've been set to, ready to go. But, uh, and I was struggling so bad and I was 20 and, and I was so discouraged and I came from a mega church where there were 200 people in a bathroom at any given day. And I'm just out there as a 20 year old kid in the middle of echo, Park, a rampart area trying to build a church and, and right there in the neighborhood, man, and people would come up to me and say, you're not the real deal. You're not going to be here long. Um, this neighborhood eats up everyone that tries to do something. And, and there I was just struggling. And I'll never forget back then. The only messages I had were sermons I memorized my dad. So I memorized my dad's sermons so perfectly that I would get to the end just like he does. If you ever heard my dad, when he gets to the end, he said, I'm going to count to number three to give you time to think it over. And when you get to, when I get to the number three, I want to see the hand of every lady or boy or girl who will say, pastor, I'm not right with God. Get ready. One, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking. Two, the Holy Spirit's about to move. The, and, then, and then I would say things like from the right to the left to the front to the rear of this balcony, to, to the first balcony, to the second balcony. There were no balconies in that building, but I memorized it so long, I actually started to think that there were balconies, you know. And, and I would say three, and nobody would raise their hand. I would say three, and nobody would raise their hand. I said, you love Jesus, and nobody would even raise their her hand. I got so discouraged. I went home and I cried and I, I'll never forget looking out as a mega church pastor's son of 10,000 people. Couldn't even get two people to go through the door. And one night looking out, just hoping anybody would show up in that little old parking lot. And one car showed up and, and I was so excited. I thought I had my first family coming to church and they actually pulled into the liquor store next to the building. And I was so depressed. And and I, and I went home, I had ulcers because I was so addicted to being successful that it was killing me on the inside. I wanted to become something. I wanted to go further than my father. I wanted to go stronger than the generations before me. And I, and I felt like a failure because nobody came to hear me preach. And I cried for three hours on my pillow as a 20-year-old kid. I said, God, I'm a failure. The anointings on my father and my grandfather, I think it skipped a generation with me, God. And I just cried for several hours. And then God, one night, spoke to me me. He said, I want you to rebuild the walls of your city. I want you to, I want you to serve your community. I want you to get up and I want you to walk until I tell you to stop. I got up at 10 o'clock at night. I went to Echo Park. I walked around Echo Park and I saw helicopters looking for criminals in the middle of the park. I saw young men up against police cars being arrested. I saw homeless people everywhere. And as I walked through the park that night, God spoke a word to me. He said, I want you to die to your dream of being a success. I don't want you to ever think about being a success ever again. I don't want you to live the rest of your life being a blessing and serving your community and becoming a city janitor and walk through the streets of LA and pick up broken pieces until people, they can dream again. And I never forget those days of going back home and saying, God, what do I have? And, uh, emptying, emptying my pockets and having nothing left. And, and my dad would come by once a week. I'd have to borrow money just for lunch because everything I had was going to the ministry and, uh, and, and, and just tr- struggling to make it happen. And gang members coming up to me and say, Hey, do you think we can build a weight pile? And so I go to Kmart and buy those cheap weights and, and I, and I put it out there. And my whole life was wrapped up in serving. And suddenly something happened in my life. I felt like, I felt like, every day that I was serving, I was winning. I didn't feel like there was an arrival point to the calling. There was a place that I needed to be. I was just excited about wherever I was, whatever I had to give. And that's a beautiful place to be in your calling when you get up every single day and it's not necessarily about where you want to be. It's about enjoying where you're at and having a servant's heart and carrying it with you everywhere that you go. And so I told the guys in the neighborhood, I said, we're going to do a basketball tournament in this neighborhood. So I went out and bought that cheap Kmart basketball hoop that you had to put water or sand in to fill it up. And we had, and, and back then, my dad taught me that you always have to call it the world's largest anything when you're promoting. I said the world's largest basketball tournament we're going to have, you know. And we had a three-on-three tournament. and We had two gang members on my team, and uh, and me and two gang members on my basketball team, and we won the tournament. And there's actually a picture. I'm going to get next time I bring here. There's actually a picture of two gang members of the Coronas celebrating the victory. La and and back then I was 20, but I looked like I was 12. And. And, I, and I was trying to act tough, and so I just stuck my fingers up like I was a, with a peace sign, like I was a hippie from Eugene, Oregon or something like that, you know? And, and that's all I had. But, but God began to use it. And then, and then my church, where people were leaving, so I went to Skid Row. My first church members were guys from Skid Row. I'd bring them to church. I told these guys, I need to be, I need you to be street deacons. I need you, I have no ushers or deacons. I said, I need you to get sober in the next two weeks because I need you to be on my staff. And these guys were receiving the offering. They were shaking, you know, because they were trying to get clean and dropping the offering and everything. But that's where it started. And I began to realize that God was building from broken people. It became something I never dreamed. I didn't understand. I couldn't relate. I didn't get drug addiction. And I and, and I said, God, how can I relate to people? God says, stop trying to be relevant and just be revolutionary and just start writing the script as you go, helping people along the way and just making a difference. Use whatever I give you. Love whatever I give you. Value whatever I give you. Think that whatever you have in your hand is the greatest thing in the world. And people would drive by from Phoenix, the big church, and they're saying, Hey. When are you going to come back and take over your dad's church? When are you going to come over and take over the one of the largest churches in America? Time Magazine ranked it at one time. When are you going to take over a real church? I said, this is a real church. They said, no, it's not. You can't build a great church with a liquor store next to a church. That's not the right demographic to build a church. I said, sure it is. It's a, and they said, well, you don't even have a coffee shop. How can you build a great church if you don't have a coffee shop? I said, well, I don't have a coffee shop, but I got a liquor store right next door. You know, and, And they got everything. I mean, you can have whatever you like. I mean, it's right there. It's just, you know, and I don't have to pay for it. It's just right there, you know, and the amens get really interesting too. And then look, you know, it's not be giving altar calls and I can hear, you know, you got an outreach church when you give an altar call and you can hear like beer bottles drop on the concrete, you know, and it's like, and God began to build from there And, and things begin to happen. I begin to realize that God call me to seek after the welfare of the people and the welfare of the city. And as I looked around at these initiatives tonight, and I saw you amazing people in this church, and every time I come here, there seems to be even a greater sense of joy and happiness as if that was even possible. But people are happier now. But the initiatives are getting bigger. The outreach is getting bigger. The dynamics are getting bigger. The heart, just keep you just keep getting happier and happier and happier the more you just keep emptying yourself. And that's always the principle. If you live your life with palms up, you're only going to be happy in Christmas time and your birthday. But if you live your life with palms down, there's a way you can be happy 365 days a year. <laughs> Nehemiah came to seek after the welfare, the prosperity, the well-being, and the happiness of the people. And soon we had one house in the neighborhood that we were taking in guys who had drug addiction. And I'll never forget the first time those guys came in, I I took them into my house because they didn't want to go back to Skid Row. They said, Pastor, if we go back to Skid Row, we're never going to make it. I said, come to my house. I called my dad. I said, Dad, do you know anything about rehab? He, He said, nope. Don't know anything about it. I said, well, I'm starting a rehab program. He said, when? I said, right now. And these two guys came in, and we'd get up in the morning. I'd read the Bible to them, and it was not the perfect plan. But there's no such thing as a perfect plan. When you give your heart away to serving others, you just start doing it, and then you figure it out along the way, you know, and you just get better at what you do. And, and, and then two houses, three houses, and then one day, that we had several homes in the community. And when I, one day I was driving down the Hollywood freeway, and I was about 23 years of age. I said, God, I need a new building. I didn't know what he meant by that. And I was just praying. I looked to my right, and I saw this building that said For Sale. It was a 400,000-square-foot hospital on the Hollywood Freeway. At that time, it was getting ready to be purchased for $16 million on that freeway. And God said, I just want you to pull over and take a look. And I pulled over, and I saw that building. And they wouldn't even give me a tour because I didn't think I was an interested buyer. So I snuck in the back door and gave myself a tour of the building anyways because sometimes you got to go gangster for Jesus. you know. And I walked in there. And I walked around 15 stories of that hospital and God said, I want you to take away runaway street kids in this floor. I want this to be for people who have drug and alcohol addiction. I want this floor to be for homeless families. I want this floor to be for homeless veterans. Now you'll say, boy, that must have happened overnight. The vision took 23 years. We just finished the final vision of what God put in our heart, the homeless veterans that we just opened up. So we are not even close to an overnight success in the area of outreach. But you see, when you give your heart to something like you have, and you give your life to uh, the city, it's not necessarily an issue of having the transformation that you want overnight. It's about the condition of your heart. It's always been. And I just said, God, I just want to rebuild however long it takes. I'm just committed. I'm all in for the cause. And then through a series of miracles, the Catholic Church sold us that hospital That every famous movie you can imagine has been filmed there. Nightmare on Elm Street, the boiler room where Freddy Krueger is right there on the Dream Center campus. We've cast demons and everything out of that place. You know, I still won't go there. I have faith, but I still won't go down there, you know. and When we bought it, they were filming movies there. Like before we took it over, they were still filming movies. And they had Mike Myers from Halloween. Remember the dude with the white mask on? He's filming a scene. I'm going up the elevator as the new owner of the building. I'm like, what's up? And he, he he has like a knife because he's filming a scene. He's like, hey, how you doing, man? I'm like, this is the weirdest thing ever, you know? And But God gave us that building, the Catholic church sold it to us for 3.9 million. And then we, we, we were so happy and, and we were going to rebuild this great thing. We turned on the pipes and they busted and we had a flood the first day. And six times in my life, including three months ago, I've emptied my account with no money left. Because that's what you do in leadership. You don't run when times get tough. You just, you do whatever you gotta do to keep it going. You know, but six times it's happened. And six times God's revealed, amen. But when you love something, you build, when you love something, you lay down your life, when you love something. I tell you when, 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 when the announcements were being made tonight, I saw so much joy beaming from these announcements about these initiatives that were going on because the healthiest church in the world is not the God the, the most spiritual church in the world it 's a church that just won 't stop serving and loving and giving. This lady came to me one day. She said, Pastor, I'm having a nervous breakdown. I said, you are? She said, yes, it's very serious, and you need to counsel me. And I'm like, well, I'm not ready to go counsel her, but I'll try. And uh, she said, you need to help me get healed of my nervous breakdown. So we had a meeting. She told me all the things that were going on, and it was serious. I mean, she was really having a nervous breakdown. So finally, at the end of the meeting, I said, you know what? I need you to do something. This this is my little remedy to your problem. I said, I want you to get up tomorrow. I want you to go to our shelter because we have a 30-day shelter at the Dream Center, and that's not the rehab program. That, the first 30 days is when people can just get off the street, and they haven't made decisions yet to go to rehab. We try to encourage them to make a long-term decision. But you don't want to mix the rehab uh, first 30-day people with the people in the shelter because they're at two different levels of where they want to be. So the shelter's on one side, and then the rehab's over here. And the, lady, and the lady came up to me, and she said, Pastor, I'm having this problem. I said, well, i got a solution. Wake up tomorrow, go to our 30-day shelter. And I want you to give all the men and women their cookies and bake them some cookies and bless them. And then day two, I want you to, because all those people in the first three-day program have the munchies, you know. And day two, I want you to, you know this new marijuana law in L.A.? I'm going to raise a lot of money for the Dream Center. I'm going to put pizza joints next to every weed shop, man. That's how I'm going to make my money for the Dream Center. Amen, you know. Pizza, anyways. Don't hate the hustle. Yeah, I do not. And, uh, and day two. But there'll be Jesus pizza shops next to be beautiful. And um in day two, I want you to go and I want you to go to the rehab home and bake them cookies. And day three, I want you to visit the homeless family. She saw this, she said, Pastor, what does baking cookies have to do with my nervous breakdown? I'm offended. She said, I'm an educated woman, and you're telling me to bake cookies and bring in people in the rehab program. I said, I know that's really all I got, though. We just give it a try and come back next week. She didn't show up next week. And then the following week, she didn't show up. The next week after that, she didn't show up. And then finally, at church, I track her down. I said, you've missed every appointment for the last few weeks. You're supposed to come to my office and talk about your nervous breakdown. I said, what happened? She said, oh, pastor, please forgive me. I got so busy baking cookies and blessing people, I forgot to have my nervous breakdown. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Whenever you know, can I tell you something as a leader? Whenever I get selfish, whenever I get pity party, whenever I just I I have a woe is me attitude, I'm the only one who cares, I'm the only one who sacrifices and all this stuff. You know what it is? It's usually because I'm looking so deep into myself, I forgot what it means to serve. I've got to jump out of my office, I gotta find someone to serve, I've gotta get out of myself into another self that is greater than myself. And why are you all here tonight, packed out room in the middle of December while everyone's out shopping? You're here because you came tonight to hear about how to serve your generation by the will of God. And you have heard, you've come tonight to find out how to be the happiest people in the world. Because the happiest people in the world are the people that serve out of their pain, out of their surplus, out of their abundance, out of whatever they're dealing with. They just serve out of it. You know, I've seen God do impossible things. I have seen miracles happen. We had uh, some guys uh, the other day, they said, Pastor, check this out. There's something going on in one of the guys uh, in the recovery homes. It's a miracle that's taken place. And. And, and I said, what's happening? said, you just got to check it out. And I walked in there and there's some guys praying for There's one man who's a gang member from East LA. And there's another man who's a gang member from South Central. And there's another guy who's a skinhead from Huntington Beach. And they were all staying in the same room together. <laughs> yeah, that was great planning. And, uh, but we put them all together in the same room and these guys put their arms around each other and they were praying and seeking God. And they're now best friends, man. These guys would fight for each other. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can build something like that. Only God's, God's work can do something like that. And I've seen miracles happen. I've seen crime drop 73% in our neighborhood. I've seen gas stations be adopted. And we've gone to gas stations and dropped the price for a dollar for a whole hour and say, gas price is not going to be, well, now it's cheap anyways. But when it goes up again, this is a good idea. When it was like $5, uh, now it's like $3 a gallon. And just And just going out there and earning the right to be heard and living your life with your head on a swivel, looking for a way to be a blessing. And I didn't know that now we'd have 800 residents living in our building. That was never in the dream. That was never in the vision. But God, as Nehemiah, I'm sure he didn't really understand all that was going to take place. He had to make adjustments. There were wall parts of the wall that needed more troops at sometimes He had to be adaptable to what was going on. He had to be flexible to what was going on. There were times when he needed to you know, bring more people over here and over there. And the idea wasn't perfect. He didn't maybe understand everything overnight. But when you have a heart to serve other people and make a difference, God will always give you the plan. He will always give you the solution, and you will navigate your way through any problem. I think sometimes we say things to bail ourselves out, like, well, I don't understand that need, so I can't reach it. God's not looking for people who understand everything. He's just looking for some people that are willing to rebuild and seek after the welfare of the people of Clovis in the Central Valley. That's what God's looking for. He'll give you a solution give you a solution. One of the most incredible moments in my life is when we bring our buses to Skid Row. And so we'll bring in like 150 people to church from Skid Row in the middle of Sunday morning. And, you know, we've lost a couple people in our church because they said, well, we want to bring those kind of people in there. You know, it's funny that sometimes Christians get angry when people sin differently than they do, you know. And, uh, and so we'd bring them in, though. You know, we've lost some people. That's okay. But uh, but we've gained more people because they get excited about bringing the people from Skid Row in. So we bring them into church. And, man, it gets interesting sometimes. I mean, we have one guy yell out, I am the 13th disciple, you know. And, uh I mean, you never know what you're going to give. That's what makes it exciting. Some people come to the bus service just to find out what's going to happen next, you know. And And they'll talk trash to me. I'll talk trash back to them in church. It's a weird environment, you know. And. But but we started bringing the people from Skid Row to church and uh, and and then we'd go out and then we would go to the hotels and there was little kids that were in, in crack hotels five or six dollar a night hotels and their their parents would get the their, their their checks they would go out for eight to nine days and they would just get loaded up on drugs and the kids were literally living in rooms next to pedophiles and showers they had no doors all on them they were being ripped off by the pedophiles watching the children in these hotels. Um, a shower and their parents were no longer there. And so we were to, literally, they would just run amok and then they would come back when the money ran out and our buses would show up and we would bring these kids to church. We'd bust them in four or five nights a week to church because they would come to anything just to get out of there. And so we were bringing these kids and they were watching the people on the worship team and the little girls would go home and they would imitate the worship leaders and say, I want to be this girl. I want to be that person. And the people in the church became the hero to these kids in Skid Row. As we go visit them, they would grab our legs and they would literally, we would have to wall, pull them to, away from us in order to get, a, a, to get free from these kids who were so attached. And then we saw these young teenage kids and, and, uh, and, and I got so stirred by these kids. They said, Pastor, we don't want to go home. And, and so we began to pursue how to take these kids in. And so we began to have a home for kids that were minors that had nowhere to go. We were rescuing them off the streets of Skid Row. And now today it's emancipated minors. We're being taken in in a completely full building of kids that are living there. And I, when we took in those, when these kids, we took in these two beautiful girls that came into our program. And their mother was just living on the street. And she didn't want them. And she was out there just using these two beautiful twin girls we brought into the program. And uh, we were having the, the time of our life taking in these girls. And they were finding hope and safety and joy in the house of God. And so we had about 38 girls in the program, and it was just flourishing, teenage girls who were living in our building. And one day a lady came in town from Denver, Colorado, on a convention, and she wanted to see the Dream Center and the tour, so we gave her a tour, and we took her to where these teenage girls live at the Dream Center. And they gave their testimony, and she was so stirred by this. And she said, Pastor, I'm going back home to Colorado, but I'm coming back. And she said, I want you to plan something very, very special for these girls. Would you please do something very special for them? I want you to organize a breakfast for the girls and find a place for them to eat, and I'll pay for it and let me know how to how to pay for it. I said, great. I called her back, and I said, hey, I got some good news. Uh, McDonald's has got a little back room, and they'll take care of the kids, and we'll have a little fun day at McDonald's. She said, Pastor, Really? She's like, these are the most wonderful girls I've ever met, and you want to take them to McDonald's? I'm like, well, I'm sorry. It's your money. I was just trying to be sensitive with it, you know. And uh, she said, you can do better than that. I said, okay, I'll call you back. And so I called IHOP. And I said, IHOP, do you have a place? And uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll set up a little place in the back. I said, good news. IHOP has got a place for these girls. And she said, Pastor, I'm offended. You mean to tell me that this is the best you got? You're the pastor of the Dream Center? You're supposed to be a dreamer. I hop is the best that you got. I'm like, okay, okay, now it's on. You're questioning my dream. I'm going top level. And so I called the Four Seasons Hotel, and uh, I called them in Beverly Hills, and I said, uh, uh, do you have a place for these girls? They said, yes, we do. And uh, and they said, it's a little bit expensive. They said, it's like $75 for this brunch that we have for all per person, $75. And so I said, yep, that's exactly the place. Uh, yep, that sounds Perfect. And I called her back, and I said, I was kind of proud of myself for finding something so expensive, you know. And she said, oh, what place have you found for me? I said, it's a, it's a place of the Four Seasons. It's a very fancy buffet. It's like $75 a person. She said, that's exactly what I'm talking about, Pastor. That's what you want, where, where you need to take them. So we got in the bus, and these girls, you know, we're in their little Dream Center t-shirts, and many of them have never been out of a three-mile radius of Skid Row or the Dream Center area. And we're driving to Beverly Hills, and we get off the bus, and we walk in. These girls are walking around. They're like, wow. They're looking around the, the restaurant, and they're walking around stealing for uh, silverware and everything. I mean, how do you think we got so much money at the Dream Center? We just take it back in Jesus' name and uh, just receive it in faith. Thank you. But they gave it back. And I know, no, but they're walking around. No, they were actually so sweet and so some of the politest kids you've ever Once you've been loved like this before, there's so much gratitude in their heart and and, and they were so sweet. And then uh, the lady came down, and she had these little bags around her arm, her little daughter. And she's like, I want to give all the girls a present. She said, Pastor, you don't even know this. father arranging this with your workers behind your back. She said, I got a special prize for all these girls I want to give them. And I said, oh, this is going to be cute. It's going to be a Jesus bumper sticker or a Bible marker or something like that. And the girls opened up, and every one of them had gift certificates. This is like probably 15 years ago. And, uh, and so every one of them had gift certificates that this lady gave every girl a piece to go shopping at the Beverly Center mall like 15 years ago, $500 each. And off I went to the mall with 38 girls for seven hours. I'd rather spend seven years in the tribulation than seven hours of 38 teenage girls at the mall. Why is it that they want everything at the first spot, but then they have to walk around the mall for seven hours to come back to the first spot where they want everything in the first place and... One girl's like, Pastor, I'm going to go to the most cheapest store I can find. I'm out, good luck here, but I'm going to buy everything I can find, as cheap as I can find. Another girl's like, no way, Pastor, I'm going to go to this expensive makeup place, and I'm going to get, I'm tired of buying cheap makeup. I'm going to get the best makeup. So I ran to this place, and I know that it's a real fancy place, and so I knew that they were going to be a little bit more like, why are these kids walking in here? So I walked in, I said, look, these bunch of girls are come in here, they don't look like they have a lot of money but would you please take good care of them? Every one of them has $500. Please take good care of them. I have never seen these fancy ladies with this makeup uh, so nice in all the world. They came in, they're like, oh, honey, sit down right here. Oh, they're putting makeup on. They're like, oh, you look like J-Lo. Oh, my goodness. Gloria, di need to say and, 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 and they're just, I mean, like, I'm so nice to them, you know, and then the girls are walking around and, uh, they're buying stuff and most of the girls just want to buy stuff for family members that he have mistreated them or family members that were in jail and they just want to take care of them. They were so wonderful and we're walking around. They're like, Pastor, we love you, man. You're our dog, man. You're our dog. I'm like, yeah, and we're just, and then she said, we're not done yet. She said, Pastor, I got another surprise. I rented out a pedicure place in Beverly Hills and all the girls are going to get pedicures and manicures at this beautiful place in Beverly Hills. She said, Pastor, but the only way we're going to do it is you have to participate too, Pastor. You've got to get a manicure and pedicure too. And that was 15 years ago when I, you know, and, uh, and I and I said, really? She said, yes, you do. And I said, okay. And I said, but man, pastors, we don't get, you know, manicures and pedicures. We don't do that. Worship leaders do, but pastors don't, you know? And uh, and so she said, oh, but, so I took one for the team and I'm like, I, t- I can't believe how bad that tickles. How can you even tolerate that in the bottom of your foot? That thing they do. And, uh, and then she ran out a movie theater and then we went back and the girl said, pastor, we want to try on our clothes. And I mean, these are girls that were literally living in Skid Row with five hundred dollars of fashion, and one girl walked in. She had a Raider sweatshirt on and a pink dress, like a pink skirt, like flowing. It was awesome, and uh, and 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 she and she and she walked around and she said, "Look at my outfit. I'm just, I'm just here crying." As he's, and then I said, "Look, let's talk." And um, we sat around, and I said, "I want you to tell me what your dream is." One girl said, well, pastor, my dream is, is to work in the medical field. And I said, praise God, that's wonderful. Another girl said, my dream is to be in the WWF. I'm all praise the Lord. While your body's slamming, someone say Jesus loves you. Amen. You know, and I just sat around and I didn't really, and I just, and they said, pastor, what's your dream? And the first thing that came to my mind was the, the pastoral answer. I want to be 5,000 members in five years and, you know, and all this stuff. And then guy spoke to me and said, that's not your real dream. Don't tell him what your numerical dream is. Tell him what your real dream is. And I, I looked at him and I said, you know what my dream is? My dream is to see that every one of your dreams comes true. I want to build your dream. I don't know how it's going to happen. Like Nehemiah, don't really know. I'm just going to survey the city and show up and just lay one brick at a time and see if people will rally and see what will happen. I don't know how it's all going to, I've got a basic plan, a kind of an understanding of where I'm going to start, but God lead it from there. And once you start serving, God starts uncovering things about your life, things in you you didn't know that you had, things, abilities you didn't know that you had, passion for people that you never knew that you had that's the beautiful thing about serving other people once you get out of yourself and you start serving other people you'll start to find things in you that you never even knew you possessed love for people that you never knew that you love the ability to overcome stereotypes that you had for years and only serving can break down you can you can't speak those things over people's life to change you have to experience them you have to be in people's lives you have to be in, in their homes and see what their struggles like and see what their are is like and I had nothing when I started my you know my church started basically at a taco truck right next to the uh, Sunset and Marion Street with a taco truck and Mr. Paisano that was there and I would show up to the taco truck and Mr. Paisano said you're a courageous young man for coming to this city he would give me free tacos Cecil's and everything man <laughs> lengua tacos which means tongue tacos for the gringos here And man, he would just load me up. I, I, I didn't know what that stuff was. I'm like, man, that's good. What is it? He's like, brains? So I'm like, oh. Well, praise the Lord, then. And, and I'd be out there and he and Mr. Paisano would be like, I don't go to church, but every one of you guys need to go to, 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 the, to Father Matthew's church. And I didn't question him. I didn't mean correct him because he was so passionate about getting people to church. I'm just like, yes, come to Father Matthew's church. Amen. <laughs> And he would ask me to bless his taco truck. I'd be like, Lord, bless this taco truck right now, Lord, and please bless some of the stuff that's in this taco truck, Lord. And uh, he became my buddy, Mr. Paisano, right there in the neighborhood. And things begin to happen and just begin to serve. And I didn't realize that just a desk like this on a sidewalk and five bags of food. And just starting with what I had, loving with what I had, one brick at a time, would end up in a hospital. That was not even the plan. That was so far removed from anything that I ever dreamed could ever happen. That wasn't even a possibility in my mind. And I'm glad it wasn't a possibility in my mind because sometimes what is birthed through the simplicity of compassion, God reveals things bigger than anything you could ever imagined. And I'm glad that this was in my mind because it was in God's heart. And God said, you know what? You need a little bit bigger place to do this. I see the capacity. You see, the issue is not necessarily how big that your mind can think. It's how big your heart can become. Because when your heart is big enough, God will give you the provision for whatever you want to do. But every, you know, every dream that I've had, every book that I've written, that uh, the cause within you, I, I told God, I'm going to give everything, every proceed of that book, I'm going to give to the Dream Center. And that book turned around and became a New York Times bestseller, sold hundreds of thousands of books, And I've lost a lot of money personally because I made that commitment to God. And then the other books I've done, have done okay, not great. And those are the ones I say, well, maybe I'll keep this one, you know. So uh, everything that I've ever done to try to make a difference for the kingdom has always been blessed. And everything for others always seems to be blessed. Every dream that pertains to making life better for others seems to become a reality. And I've just decided the best way to live life is to lay one brick at a time in my city. Pay the price, just like you guys are doing, to make a difference. And one day when it's all said and done, they will look over an amazing group of people in the Central Valley and a great pastor's heart and say, we don't know much about that church. We, We don't know everything about them, but there once was a church and there continues to be a church that came to seek after the welfare of the Central Valley. Nehemiah had a dream to make life better for people. People say, you know what, what's next for the dream? That's the most important. Uh, The question people ask, I say, I really don't know. Because the valley will decide that. The pain will decide that. The next need that we can't meet that comes to our door where we think we've got it all figured out, and we're like, boy, we've got the infrastructure in place, but then there's always a confrontation moment where God puts me in a situation where I have to respond. I have to jump, even though I don't understand how to do it to make a difference for the kingdom of God. I close with this, and this is going to be a quick close, kind of, but it will. It will be done soon. There's been, some, there's been about five times in my life where I've gotten stale and tired and cold. Where I've gotten selfish in my walk with God, selfish as a pastor. Selfish in, in just a lot of areas of my life that God had to break down. And one time God just spoke to me and said, I want you to go live homeless on the streets of Skid Row during one of our anniversary. So I just one night got up and got a piece of cardboard box and I said, uh, and, and I just said, I'm going to live homeless. I'm going to go to the streets of Skid Row. And I grabbed that piece of cardboard, I went out to the streets and I said, God, how long do you want me to be homeless? He said, just, I want you to live homeless in the streets until I tell you to stop. And I went to the streets of Skid Row and lived homeless for two days. And I'll never forget that experience of being down there in the middle of the night and seeing the, the bathrooms that were being used as prostitution and seeing the rats, the size of softballs in the middle of the night and laying in the middle of the night, people screaming and yelling and the first two hours, not thinking I was going to make it through the night. And walking through there, God began to strip away every ounce of pride in my life. You see, sometimes we got to go back to the basics just to remind us of what it's really all about. And I was terrified. I was out of my comfort zone. I was nervous. I was looking around. I wasn't in the friendly confines of the pulpit that I'd been raised in the church my entire life. It was easy for me to do that but I was, ra- I was in the unfamiliar, and that's where the miracle always happens. When you put yourself, as you volunteers are about to do during this season, throw yourself into the unfamiliar. That's where you find the miracle. And I was down there, and families were everywhere. And, and one guy said, you're not going to make it through the night, and God spoke to me. Just hold up your Bible walk through the streets of Skid Row. And I held up my Bible, and I walked through the streets, and people were screaming out, hey, man, with the Bible, do you think God still loves me? Do you think God will forgive me? People were yelling out things that they were wondering if God can do. And suddenly I became like the chaplain of Skid Row just because I was holding up a Bible. And I would go to people's tents and talk to them. And, and I would go up against the walls where people had needles in their arms. And I was living there for two days. It was the most unbelievable experience, panhandling and feeling the rejection of what it's like when people look at you. And all the things I was going through, it was just a horrible experience. But, yeah, it was life-changing at the same time. And then I saw families down there, and I saw met a family, and I said, you know what, we're going to take you in tonight. Even though the idea to take in homeless families was two years down the road on my planning chart, God said, I want the family floor ministry to start tonight. I called the Dream Center. I said, we're starting the family floor. They said, that's right, Pastor, that's in your vision a couple years down the road. I said, no, we're starting it tonight. Let's take in our first family and I said, I promise you, church, if we just take in this one family, I'll just kind of leave it alone. I won't say anything. Behind my back, my church opened up 35 rooms for homeless families. I said, why? I only asked for one. They said, Pastor, we know you. Once you start talking about a need, you won't shut up. So we decided behind your back to open up 35 rooms. We didn't, And it took us a while to figure it out. But if you wait till you have everything figured out, you'll never get started. Because when dealing with hurting people, there's, there's always a an unknown that is there. And I came back from that experience of Skid Row and it changed my life. Even now in my life, there are times where I want to flow in the familiar. I want to flow in the easy. I want to flow in the ordinary. I want to just go into that, that safe zone of my life. I got to fight myself every day not to be there, not to live there. And I, I want to be there. My flesh is drawn there. There's something about 23 years of ministry where you know what God's called you to do. You know the kind of level of brokenness he wants to live, you, you to live in. But you got to war against yourself. And I do all the time. And I'm so imperfect in my desire. There's so much selfishness in me. I've got to fight on a daily basis to be able to say, God, allow me, God, to live and walk and go to the unfamiliar place. Because every time I found you, God, it's been in the place of the unfamiliar. I've come to seek after the welfare of the people, Nehemiah said. And he surveyed the city. He looked around and laid one brick at a time and begin to rebuild. When you fight against the familiar, when you fight against the flow of the ordinary life that America points as success, that's when the misery happens. That's when the fights and the contention in our life happens. But if we choose to put ourselves in another person's world, that's where we find the joy. Every head bowed, every eye closed all over this room tonight. It's okay, if it's okay, I'm just being very vulnerable tonight about, I'm not up here saying, boy, I've got outreach figured out. I've got the flesh I deal with every day of my life. I have to fight selfishness all the time. But you know what? The Bible says fight the good fight of faith. And I feel like maybe there's more times I get it right than not, but there's still way too many times in my life where I just have to say, God, break me. I just need to be broken. Break me to love. Break me to serve. Break me, God, to get myself out of myself. Break me, God, to live my life as a servant first before I'm a minister. Tonight, all over this room, I believe that you're going to join me as the first person down here in this altar tonight that will say, I'm not leaving this place of God until you break me for broken people, until you break me for the Central Valley. I just really believe, I, I coming up here tonight, I really believe that one of the great revivals that will, that's going to take place in America, I felt this since 2012 of coming up here, I feel like this church has a mandate for one of the great revivals that the world's ever seen through... Your amazing vulnerability and honesty about our condition of our heart that this church possesses so well and the, and the sense of mission that's breaking loose like wildfire all over the city. But tonight in this room, would you join me? Because you know, when we say brokenness, it's a scary world. I'm, I'm being broken today. Brokenness is the most beautiful thing in the world. That's when the healing begins, when we're broken. There's something so beautiful about being broken and being repaired by God and being rebuilt by God. It's the most liberating concept to say, God, break my heart, Lord, for what breaks yours. Break my heart for my city, God. And all over this room, I want everyone in this room, when I say three, I just want you to storm to the front and we're just going to have a worship and prayer revival. I'm just going to pray with you. I usually go out and pray with people, lay hands on, but you know what? I'm just going to sit here and I'm just going to be broken with you. I believe that tonight, during this Christmas season, That in the season of distraction will be the greatest season of revival that this church has ever experienced. I believe it right now. But it begins with you. Revival always begins one person at a time. And I believe something special is going to happen all over this room. You're here tonight. Say, I'm not leaving this place until I'm broke. I'm not leaving this place until I get out of myself. There's too much of myself I'm consumed by. I need to bring the heart of a servant into my family, into my school, into my work into my life, into my mindset, but tonight I will not, I have to leave myself and put myself in someone else's world. I need to be healed tonight, and I'm going to be healed by serving. This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc.